You heard that safe drivers get rewarded with Snapshot from Progressive, so you went online to check it out. But then you saw an ad for a vintage baseball cap, and now you find yourself checking the stats of that team's second baseman in 97, wondering why his stolen base total dropped after his rookie season. Wonder how much his rookie card is worth. Yes, they said it was easy to save money with Snapshot from Progressive, but they forgot about the rest of the Internet. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California, North Carolina, or from all agents. Welcome, folks, to Pitch the Podium. It was mayhem at Mugello, but in the end, what a fantastic race. And Lewis Hamilton becomes the first ever driver to win at the Tuscan Grand Prix with his 90th career win. But there's a lot more to discuss. And as always, I've got Kunal Shah here with me to discuss the same. Hello and welcome, folks, to Pitch the Podium. Somal Arora here. And Kunal, what do we begin first? You know what? Let's actually go for our P2P moment of the week. Ouch, I'm stumped. Uh, the P2P moment of the week to me was actually, I would say, uh, you know, Daniel Ricardo's drive and Daniel Ricardo's pit stop as well. Uh, you know, two moments that literally got everyone searching for tattoo parlors near Mushello, <laughs> uh, you know, given the whole uh, tattoo bet that they, they had. But uh, that would be my P2P moment from the 2020 Tuscan Grand Prix. And even Crofty couldn't stop talking about it. We were all on the edge of our seat. We so want to see Daniel Ricciardo back on the podium. It wasn't him, it was somebody else. And thank goodness we are so relieved for him. We shall come to that immediately after this one. But mine, it has to be that crash that we had at the second restart. Unnecessary, simply unnecessary. Too much of money wasted, too big of a hazard for safety. I think we're going to discuss that in deeper depth later on in this video too. But first, let's actually go back to speaking about the big one. Let's start about the amount of craziness that we had in this one. And where do I begin, Kunal? There was just something for everyone. There was something for everyone. Uh, you know, to me, it was like, you know, the Italian team isn't really entertaining in 2020. So the Italian circuits decided, okay, let's step up. <laughs> and deliver two cracker races, you know, that we can. So Monza was fantastic. Mugello surprised all of us in pretty much every way. You know, there were all these misconceptions that it would be a processional race. Oh, it no. would be all about tire degradation. Uh, you know, there wouldn't be overtaking and so on. And pretty much all of us were left shocked saying, wow, what a race at Mugello. Can we just keep racing here, you know, five times a year? It's the magic of Mugello. That's what captivates you so much. And what a race it was in the end. Not, not really the best of races in the racing standpoint, as we all expected because of the nature of the circuit. But sheer drama. And sometimes that's good enough in Formula 1. And interestingly, one fantastic stat that Sundaram from our team has come up with, it's that all of the podium finishers from the last race, that is Gasly, Sainz and Stroll, retired from the Tuscan Grand Prix. That just shows you the kind of drama that took place in this particular race. And even more so, Mercedes and Ferrari were the only two teams that had both their drivers finish the race in points. That, that's, some, that's some stat, isn't it? There is. And some consolation for Ferrari, given it was a thousandth Grand Prix. 
you know, I'm sure the, the Tifosi that were present uh, in, uh, in the stands were feeling extremely horrible each time Charles Leclerc was being yeah. overtaken with much ease, you know, in, in, this, in the last part of the race because he was in P3 and then suddenly he was just falling down the order. But, uh, you know, it was, it was good to see that, uh, you know, despite all the madness, Mercedes still got a 1-2 and we had a Red Bull racing driver on the podium. Yes, Alex Albon it was. In fact, Alex Albon becoming only the second Thai driver to do something quite like this. Man, Prince Bira, back in the day, used to race after World War II and he was a legend in his own right. So Alex Albon just stepping up there. But he's going to be a topic that we speak about a bit later on. Let's get back to the chaos that we started. Thank you. For, uh, sorry for the Daniel Ricciardo reference, I beg your pardon. But hey, uh, the big thing, Kunal, was that restart. Okay, lap one crash. I think we can deem it as a racing incident of sorts. Three people going into that twisty turn to a chicane. Never going to work out. Somebody had to compromise. In the end, it was Verstappen and Grosjean and Giovinazzi as well. And that aside, that, that's a fairly normal incident if you can call that normal in any way. But the restart was the main point of concern because over there, we saw way too many cars being taken out. And now there's a, there's a differing camp about this one. Some people are saying that Valtteri Bottas was at fault for going too slowly. Some people are saying that the safety car went out a bit too late. Some people are saying that George Russell and Antonio Giovinazzi, they were the ones who just backed out, then pushed hard, gave the indication to the drivers behind that it's okay to go fast, and then slowed out back again, which had a concertina effect that led to the crash. Where do you stand on this? What, what do you think was the real cause of the accident on the whole? You know, I think uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you exactly the, the flow of my thoughts since the accident. And we did a lot of analysis in the TV studio trying to understand what happened uh, you know, and how it all unfolded. So uh, the drivers at least say that the safety car lights definitely went off much later than usual. Okay. Hmm. So that's probably one trigger that was there. And because the lights went out later, Valtteri Bottas realized that if he just, you know, sped away as soon as uh, one would have expected him to, he would have, you know, been overtaken into turn one by Lewis Hamilton. And yeah. You know, he literally did work very hard at the start, you know, the, the, the first did. start of the race. He did. To, to get position ahead of Lewis Hamilton. And, you know, given how Valtteri struggled with starts and so on and lost positions on the opening lap for him, it, it was absolutely imperative to make sure that he protects his position. Something that's within the rules, something that's allowed, understandable. And I think his actions were pretty straightforward. You know, he kept weaving, he kept uh, waiting for the right time to accelerate. But then at, at the back is when, you know, there were gaps that were opened up between people. And at the end of the day, we know that 12 drivers were, you know, sort of warned yeah. uh, about how it was. And, and that literally means that apart from the drivers who were uh, leading the pack, so that was Botas, Hamilton and Leclerc, uh, the three drivers at the front and two drivers at the back, the two drivers at the back being Raikkonen and Vettel, pretty much everyone in the middle pack were let off with a warning. And, you know, everyone just ended up uh, being in the situation they were in because they are just thoroughbred racers. Exactly. Everyone wants to get the extra edge on that. And I don't think you can blame one specific person for that. Definitely Bottas going very slow was, was a major factor, but you can't blame him, right? He's had a torrid time with his restarts. And that is exactly our next point that we have in hand. 
I remember 2017 Austria was one time I was really fascinated with Valtteri Bottas's starts. I thought, wow, man, this guy just jumps the gun. He's amazing with his reactions. And at the beginning, he can shock anyone. In 2020, that has been just a little bit different. Okay, he's been falling back to Lewis Hamilton and qualifying, but that's not by much. I don't think you can really point a finger at him and saying you're doing a bad job. Getting even that close, just a few hundredths of a second to Lewis Hamilton, is an achievement in itself. So Bottas is, I think, he's not got a lot going wrong in that department. But at the start, Gunnar, that has been one place where he's been a bit lackluster. Let's call it that way. Monza was a big disappointment. We saw him get one good start in Mijelo. That was at the second restart. But in the third one, again, it was Lewis Hamilton capitalizing and eventually keeping hold of the lead till the very end to win his 90th Grand Prix. Is that a real big cause for concern for Bottas? I think his starts are becoming a major factor nowadays. I mean, you know, he's clearly lost a lot of positions. So I'm sure it's something he's, you know, working on and maybe working a little too hard on, like mm. we've been talking about it. But uh, all in all, uh, to me, what he did in uh, Mugello pretty much was uh, was the gold standard when it come to, came to restarts. I think he did a, absolutely right to make sure Lewis doesn't get the run on him. He, he drove slow enough to make sure that Charles came close by to Lewis as well. So Lewis was also under pressure, you know, breaking into turn one and, and so on. So uh, I think pretty, pretty much uh, just the way it should be for Botas. And, you know, uh, he's been trying hard. He asked for a different set of tire compounds yeah. uh, from the Mercedes uh, team. That's against the Mercedes <laughs> rules, you know, unless they are under threat. Uh, from someone else, they wouldn't really, uh, you know, give the give uh, their drivers a choice in the compound. It's something that they just go in as a standard. So, uh, in all, you know, 55 points below. So he's definitely trying really, really hard. But uh, uh, sometimes that's how just it goes. I think he he definitely will be taking heart in the fact that, you know, barring one wet qualifying session that we've had uh, this year. He's literally be, been less than a tenth, uh, yeah. less than half a tenth away from Lewis Hamilton in qualifying. And that in itself is a phenomenal achievement. Absolutely. He's been there or there about, but just that extra X factor that you can call in that driver is something missing. And I say this, I think it's the third consecutive week I'm saying this with Bottas. It's very easy to say, it's very hard to do. You're up against Lewis Hamilton. It is not an easy task by any means. But as a championship contender, you just have to go that extra mile at times. And we know that Bottas is trying very hard, but it's Lewis Hamilton. So you kind of get the point. But I'm relieved, Kunal. I'm going to do something that The Rock used to do in the WWE. I'm going to say, finally, Alex Albon is on the podium. And I feel good. I feel very good about this. Because for weeks, we were chewing away on Alex Albon, saying that the pressure is right there. And you could feel it. He wasn't happy on the podium. He wasn't happy when he got out of the car. He was simply relieved. And there was one word that summed up the entire treatment that Red Bull have with their drivers. He said, thank you for sticking by me. Yes. That was, that just gave you a good idea about how ruthless this team can be. But he's weathered the storm. And after Pierre Gasly last week, he's finally become yet another Red Bull driver to get redemption of sorts, you could say. I, I think he drove a fantastic race. You know, his race came alive in the last 15 laps, you know, with when they switched onto the medium tires. He did all the overtaking on, on track, which always pleases Helmut Marco as well. And, uh, you know, he, he came tantalizingly close to getting a podium finish uh, at least uh, twice before, if not thrice. 
And one of them could have actually arguably been a race win, uh, you know, at the opening round of the 2020 Formula One season. So for Albin to get the podium uh, at a time when there is just so much pressure and literally somebody even like Lewis Hamilton, who has no no business bothering about, you know, Red Bull Racing's, uh, uh, you know, t- uh, team management. He's, yeah. you know, he's been vocal about how, you know, Max has been uh, sort of uh, missing a, a wingman up at the front and, and so on. So... Great uh, to see Alex Albin there. But I must tell you, I, there was also a lot of excitement to see if Daniel Ricciardo would make it there yes. with uh, Renault because uh, he he showed some great uh, race pace again. He pulled off a lot of overtaking moves. And uh, hats off to Renault for also, you know, timing the undercut uh, on Lance Stroll's racing point uh, to perfection. You know, we didn't expect this, did we? In the preview video that we did in the lead up to the Tuscan Grand Prix, we said that Renault could be one of the teams facing a tougher weekend and that they could be facing Ferrari. Oh, how our predictions have gone wrong with this one. And it happens. Renault, they're primarily a team good with the low downforce circuits, but because of all the mayhem around them, Verstappen faltering, Lance Stroll having a crash. We'll come back to that on later on. They were just able to capitalize. And yes, Esteban Ocon had overheating brakes, which put him out of the race at the first race start. But Daniel Ricciardo... He could not get the tattoo on Cyril Abitabul's body, <laughs> but he sure did get a good result in the end. I think he he would be really pleased with how things went. Of course, yeah. you know, he would have loved to score a podium at, at Renault, you know, given that this is the last season. And, you know, sort of prove to people that he is still a phenomenal driver despite him being in the 30s. And when I say despite him being in the 30s, it's primarily because, you know, how F1 teams are just mm. chasing younger talent uh, with every passing year. So, great for uh, Daniel Ricciardo as well. And, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, the, the fight that they had with Lance Stroll, uh, you know, was, was another phenomenal fight, you know. Yeah. You never really imagined Lance Stroll versus someone else. And, you know, you're sort of uh, cheering for Lance Stroll. But this time, Lance drove a really good race, uh, you know. Uh, that P3 was his for the taking till sort of Ricciardo jumped him. And uh, it was unfortunate that, you know, it was uh, either a puncture or a suspension failure that sort of literally crashed him out of the Tuscan Grand Prix. Yeah, it was a bit sad for Lance Stroll and Racing Point. On the whole, had Lance Stroll finished, it would have been a tremendous double points weekend for Racing Point. More than Albon and Ricciardo, I was just more not really concerned. I was more excited to see what the racing points could do because they had a surge of pace in the middle with Perez and Lance Stroll just gaining positions very, very quickly. That ended when Lance Stroll had his accident. But I have to say, I've been impressed with him. He's been growing. He's still not there, but he's been improving quite a bit since he started. And uh, we discussed the same thing before we started shooting this video. Although we can be very happy about Lance Stroll improving relatively, Formula One in the end is an absolute business. You have to be the best driver, full stop. And sadly, Lance Stroll isn't there yet. But the good thing is that he's getting there. He's getting closer. So uh, perhaps a bit of a disappointing one for Racing Point. They must be thinking what could have been. But from Racing Point, we can actually move down to the team that was celebrating and dancing and parading on the streets of Maranello. And the result, I don't even know what to say, Kunal. Should I say it from overall Ferrari standards or should I say it from Ferrari 2020 standards? Make a choice. 
Uh, okay, let's stick to 2020 standards. Sometimes I think they just get a, they, they, we are just a little too critical against them. Yeah. But, you know, why not? 70 years in the making. And with all the resources, they should definitely be fighting up at the front. But go for it. Outstanding weekend for Ferrari. Double points finish. Charles Leclerc, you beauty. <laughs> I, I love you for the start, Charles Leclerc. He catapulted up into P number three. Yes, Verstappen had an engine issue, whatever. All that, all that aside, Leclerc is just too good. Shame about the car, though, which has been this, the story of the last decade or something. But no, on the whole, by 2020 standards, Ferrari had a good weekend, Kunal. They did. I mean, you know, uh, for uh, Sebastian Vettel to score points is, is fantastic. Uh, you know, when, when you look back in time and you see the results on paper, it'll be like, wow, okay, Ferrari got double <laughs> points despite, uh, despite, you know, the challenges oh. that they've had in, in, in this season. But let's remember, Kimi Raikkonen, who had, uh, I think, a 12-second pit stop, who yes. had a five-second time penalty, still managed to finish ahead of uh, Charles Leclerc at the flag. He got demoted uh, because of his time penalty. And Sebastian Vettel would have almost lost the final championship point to, you know, Williams' uh, George Russell. So it sounds more heroic when you hear it on our show. No, it does. It it surely does. And the one thing that, that really comes to mind is, you must be thinking... Why did Kimi Raikkonen get a penalty? Don't ask why. Ask, for what did he get a penalty? (laughs) Because that radio interaction was absolute gold. If you haven't heard it yet, finish this video. There's not much of it left. And go watch it. You'll not regret it. But yeah, good good weekend for Kimi Raikkonen. That's the way you celebrate your home race if you're Alfa Romeo. They're not based too far off. They're based in Milan. That's not too far off from Mugello. But for Kimi Raikkonen, in that ailing car, to come home with a points finish, even with the penalty that could or could not have been there. I think just a split-second reaction, that sort of a thing. But on the whole, still superb thing for Kimi Raikkonen and Alfa Romeo. But George Russell, Kunal, and that's, that, that I think would be our final point for the day. Tantalizingly close for him. And even Sebastian Vettel spoke about him in the post-race interviews and said he was mighty impressed with the way Russell drove. And you've got to say, had it not been for that slightly untidy restart. This man right here, believe it or not, he would have been getting his first points in his Formula 1 career. It's outrageous to think of that, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I actually had another reason uh, for cheering for George Russell to score a point. Of course, it would have meant uh, Fettel not scoring a point. But despite such a mad race, despite a race of attrition, eight teams ended up scoring points in the race on Sunday. And the only teams that didn't score a point were Haas, and Williams. Now, of course, had uh, George Russell ended up scoring a point, it would have been nine teams out of 10, you yeah. know, who would have ended up scoring a point. And I'm sure uh, our uh, colleagues, uh, Sundaram or, and Nityanand would have come up with some new statistic of when last did nine teams score a point at a Grand Prix in Formula One. Exactly. It, it would have been a good weekend. It would have been a good weekend. And you have to really go and check out the Tuscan GP stats rundown on Pitch to Podium's website. Okay, self-promotion aside, I'll be genuine. Even if I was not a part of Pitch to Podium, I can't imagine that, to be honest. But I would still recommend that article. It is that good. Some really mind-boggling revelations have come out of that. And Sundaram has done a a superb job with that. Terrific job, that is. So you have to go and check it out. The link will be in the description. And with that, we come to one last point. Driver of the day. Now, 
The overall pitch to podium driver of the day was Daniel Ricciardo. But who was your personal favorite and why? I, I would say I would go with Daniel, you know, Daniel Ricciardo. It's tough to make a choice between him and Alexander Albon. You know, uh, Albon, given all the pressures that we discussed, and Daniel, just because of the fact that he's gone somewhere else and he's trying to sort of get, you know, find his way back onto the podium. So both these uh, drivers pretty much make it out there. It's tough to overlook what Lewis Hamilton did, even though, you know, he he drove a fantastic race with all the crazy chaos going on. Uh, he, you know, he just focused on what he was doing and he scored his 90th Grand Prix win. So... All in all, it's tough choices, but I would I would go with uh, Daniel Ricciardo. I would say, well, what a drive by Daniel Ricciardo in the end. And if you want a one-stop solution to having a good race, have it in Italy or have red safety car. Either way, <laughs> two chaotic races uh, in Monza and Mugello. And next up on the calendar. Okay, let me go for a little bit of sarcasm. Just a pinch of it. It's the most amazing, fantastic, flowy open, wide, terrific circuit in the world. It's the Sochi Autodrome. Yeah, try <laughs> to be excited for that one. But hey, it's a Formula One race. We are bound to be excited for that. We shall be back later on in the midweek to discuss the uh, possible discussion points for that race, to come up with who is going to be a main challenger, who's not going to be in the hunt for that, and what could be the main lookouts for from Sochi. Yes, we should. But Saul, before we go, I just realized that it was also Pirelli's home race. I mean, yes. given that we're racing in uh, in Italy three times this year, uh, hats off to Pirelli. I think the compounds did really well because the original discussion was all about tire management and tire degradation and, and so on. But that sort of just was forgotten, uh, you know, when we started racing at Mugello. And it's down to the circuit characteristics, you know, that that I would assume where there weren't too many heavy braking and low, uh, you know, low gear ratio corners, I would say. And, you know, since you mentioned the wide uh, Sochi yeah. Autodrome, uh, I loved seeing, uh, you know, three or maybe even four cars go abreast into corners at, at Mugello. So, like Lewis Hamilton said, uh, you know, just before the race, that they don't make circuit li- circuits like Mugello they anymore. And maybe we should just start a petition to make sure that we keep racing at Mugello at least once, yeah. uh, you know, once in the season. Mugello, Road Atlanta, Road America, Watkins Glen, Imola, Portimao. There's too many circuits that I can add on to this one. Classic old school sports car ones. But that aside, folks, the Russian GP is coming and you can see there's a bit of dejection in my voice. Let's, let's hope we can skip this chapter. But yeah, sometimes we've noticed that even the most terrible of tracks can produce good races. So let's hope for the best of that. And we shall see in the midweek for our five things to watch out for from the Russian Grand Prix. As always, Kunal, thank you so much for being a part of this one and see you rather soon, folks.
Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. improves children's health by developing better treatments and technologies. As one of the top children's hospitals in the nation, we take on the most complex, rare, and life-threatening conditions because all children deserve a healthy future. And with our new pediatric-focused research and innovation campus opening this spring, we'll be able to generate and share even more discoveries. Learn more at childrensnational.org slash innovation.